Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. This was never an effective Afghan force. It was much smaller than the figures people have quoted. It's a 20-year waste to get back to where we started. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. We've got a real threat with climate change. If we don't do everything in our power, this crisis we're in will only loom larger. We just did more than a trillion dollars in infrastructure. We put it on the president's desk. That's a big win. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome back to reality. Well, at least for some of us, this was supposed to be the day we all got back to work after the kids all went back to school and enhanced unemployment benefits expired. At least one of those happened. The benefits expired, along with summer for millions of Americans. As Democrats in Washington seek trillions of dollars for human infrastructure like child care to again help people get back to work. The trouble, of course, is paying for it. And as the debate over proposed tax hikes gets real, we're going to talk about it on the way with the top Republican on the House Ways and Means Committee, Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas. And we're going to dig into it as well with our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors, Jeannie Shanzano, as well as Rick Davis, and a special conversation later with former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick. Three and a half trillion keeps coming up. Number 25 is also important as the debate over proposed tax hikes to pay for reconciliation gets real. And we talk about it right now with the top Republican on the House Ways and Means Committee, Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas. Welcome back. To Bloomberg Radio, you're looking at all the same numbers I am, Congressman, here. Number 25 is where I would like to start with you, though. The corporate tax rate that your Democratic colleagues in the House have reportedly come to a consensus on. It's below the number President Biden asked for. Remembering we're at 21 right now. Would you support 25 percent? No, absolutely not. Uh, one that takes us exactly the wrong direction at a time when we need to be competing and having a stronger economy. This feels like an economic surrender. Uh, this will be a uh, give us one of the worst tax burdens on the planet, uh, on par with communist China's tax rate, uh, and I think will drive U.S. jobs, research, uh, manufacturing, and intellectual property overseas uh, at a time when, frankly, we need the economic growth here in the U.S. So, no, I've not yet heard uh, a reason of what's wrong with 21 percent. What's wrong with being the most competitive economy on the planet and driving U.S. investment and jobs into the United States? Well, the president likes to talk about people paying their fair share. And we heard about quite a number of other ideas, Congressman, last week, uh, taxing capital gains more aggressively, taxing stock buybacks, even excessive CEO compensation. Would House Republicans support any of the more creative ideas that are coming from across the aisle? Well, we've not seen one that tackles this economic recovery in a positive way. In fact, I think the the three key elements of the tax provisions have been, one, an economic surrender, 
to our foreign competitors. It will certainly damage jobs here in the U.S. Secondly, uh, significant tax increases on small businesses. There are about a package of five of these Biden tax increases that do real damage to what we traditionally believe are Main Street businesses. And then the president is is breaking his pledge by hacking taxes on the middle class. And then my final point on capital gains and issues like that, America has an imp- investment infrastructure in the tax code that is extremely successful in driving, incentivizing new investment uh, into the U.S. and into our communities. You know, his tax hikes weaken that investment infrastructure in a significant way. And at the end of the day, who gets hurt really are people of color, uh, communities that desperately need that investment. Main Street that's looking for those capital dollars to help grow and expand. So overall, I I look at this package as uh, putting at risk or killing up to 4 million American jobs uh, over time and comes at exactly the wrong time for an economy hoping to recover faster than it is. President says he won't hike taxes on anyone, any family making more than $400,000 a year. Are you saying that's not true? No. In fact, two groups, very credible groups, have already made it clear in their analysis his tax plan breaks that pledge. The left-leaning Tax Policy Center, their analysis shows 75 percent of middle-class families We'll see a tax increase beginning next year. Then the Joint Committee on Taxation, which is the official scorekeeper for Congress, acknowledges very close to the same figures. They believe two-thirds of middle-class families will see tax hikes because of the president's plans. Congressman, I want to ask you about jobs and the expiration of unemployment benefits today for millions of people. Seven million lose it altogether. Three million lose the $300 enhanced uh, benefit, the weekly check. Do you believe this expiration will prompt people to get back to work? Yeah, I do. I think uh, without question, the generous federal benefits on top of the state unemployment benefits have had unintended consequences, which is paying about four out of 10 jobless more to stay home than to reconnect to work. That's become a major barrier to survival of small businesses, certainly has slowed our recovery. You saw this, I think, again in the the uh, terrible August jobs report. Uh, And when combined with, in some cases, better health care, not working than reconnected, I think you're creating a uh, situation, almost a workerless recovery that is hammering both Main Street uh, businesses fighting to fill jobs. I think it's hurting families struggling with rising prices. A jobless recovery is a real concern. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about this, the expiration of benefits, as she flew with President Biden today to New York on Air Force One. This is what she said. We are going to continue to have your back and continue to work with states where you're living to help them implement uh, programs, including the uh, distribution of the American Rescue Plan funding so that you can get the assistance you need. We're going to have your back, she said, Congressman. Is it realistic to count on states or I guess half of them by her count, 26 states. And are you worried that cutting off millions of Americans, the other side of this coin, will lead to a drop in spending? So short answer is no. Uh, one, I think I think it's economically reckless to be encouraging states to pay people more on unemployment when we have 10 million job openings around uh, this nation. And our Main Street businesses, our 
our suppliers up and down supply chains in manufacturing delivery are, are desperate for workers. So it, economically, it makes no sense to extend those extraordinary unemployment benefits. Uh, secondly, most Americans who are jobless and on unemployment will continue at the state level. There are some who receive pandemic unemployment. These would be gig workers, for example, the Uber drivers and others who, you know, haven't been part of the system, haven't paid into the unemployment system. Hmm. Congress created these um, extraordinary unemployment benefits during the height of COVID. But now with regions reopening and jobs, frankly, plentiful, I think now is the, the right time to encourage people to reconnect to work. Talking with Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas, the top Republican on the House Ways and Means Committee, and you're about to get down to business this week, right? The debate, actually, the markup, I guess, will begin later on this week. Uh, Separately, it's hard to keep track of all these deadlines, Congressman. There's a deadline to fund the government coming up at the end of this month as well. Are we at risk of a government shutdown, or is that bluster for cable news? You know, I I hope uh, it's just bluster. Uh, look, everyone understands the importance of keeping the government open. Probably no more important time than now to do it. Uh, we always find a way to do it. I, my frustration, I think, is that there's been not a single conversation with Republicans on how best to either you know raise the debt ceiling or continue funding the government. And so I, I guess. Democrats and the president have decided to go it alone on this as well. And so I don't have a whole lot of insight into this, but it is important that we get that done on time. Congressman Kevin Brady, we thank you for coming in to talk to us again on Bloomberg Radio. He's the ranking Republican member of the House Ways and Means Committee from the great state of Texas. Thanks for talking with us once again, Congressman, on Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for being with us on the Tuesday Feels Like Monday edition of Bloomberg Sound On. Ten million people have less money in their pockets starting right now as unemployment benefits expire for some. Enhanced COVID benefits expire for others. The question is, what's about to happen? Those people start looking for work? Have they re-envisioned work? And will they spend less? Does it slow the economic recovery? As we were just discussing with Congressman Kevin Brady, a lot of questions for our panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shainzano and Rick Davis. Welcome to both of you. Say hi to Boston. Jeannie, Democrats say unemployment benefits were not keeping people at home. Republicans say they were. Who ends up being right? 
And I want to say hi to Boston, too, Joe. I was just there over the weekend. Yes. Formerly lived in Framingham. Love that city. <laughs> I miss it terribly. Um, you know, I, I just am listening to your conversation with the congressman, and it is just astounding the amount that Congress has on their plate, not yeah. to mention the White House, as we go into this September. And, of course, you know, central to that is going to be how they propose to pay for this $3.5 trillion and what happens with the corporate tax rate. But to your point, so much of this depends on whether this economy can recover in the way that it should. And and the, you know, I wouldn't say the economic recovery has been, you know, disastrous, disastrous by any means, but it hasn't been nearly as strong as many people, most of us hoped. And so I think it is going to be, you know, a telling four weeks or more as we see both what Congress does and what the next unemployment jobs numbers show and if the economy looks like it's going to recover, because that is going to impact people like Joe Manchin and mm. Kristen Sinema and others in terms of what they would be willing to support for this $3.5 trillion. Where are you on this, Rick? Mayor Walsh, who I still call mayor by accident, Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh told us on Friday that there was no evidence in the states that had stopped paying out the enhanced benefits, that that was keeping people away from work. But what, what do you think we're about to see? Well, you know, I, some of the data does confirm that um, some of the payroll data coming in uh, has said that in the 26 states that did not extend the payroll unemployment benefit past June and July, that it didn't increase uh, employment in those states. I mean, basically, Republican states opted not to take the unemployment extension. Uh, Democratic states took it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and frankly, it's bad news if that's the case. The, the real hope was that um, that people would go back to work. Uh, this is the one thing that's uh, holding back uh, much of the economy is the need to fill jobs. And the, the question a lot of economists are grappling with now is, is it because of personal situations? People have children at home and you know, they're, they can't get away uh, to work. They've retired and taken themselves out of the workforce. I mean, there are a lot of factors that could lead to this phenomena, but it's, it's a phenomena that neither Republicans nor Democrats are going to uh, particularly like because they want everybody to get back to work. They want to fill the unemployment roles, and they want these economies to start to churn the way they were before COVID. You had the impact of Hurricane Ida, Jeannie, and it, it's it's a little bit of a worry about what that next monthly report could look like. You, you know, if, if people are not coming back because of this and you add those who are not able to work because of the storms, that goes from Louisiana to north of New York, straight up through Massachusetts. We got trouble. That's right. And, and you know, this is one of the big question marks. So many of these things are, are tied together. And, and you know, you uh, you couple that in with a pandemic, what's happened with the storms. You look out west with the fires where the president is heading um, it, it, this week. And, you know, that makes for a very, very dicey situation. You've also got a lot of parents with young children who need, if they are, you know, going to be able to go back to work, they need some kind of care, whether that is in school or whether that is some form of daycare that is all wrapped up together. It's something that obviously Congress is debating right now. But this situation is something that makes all that much more difficult as we see. I'm at a college, but as we see schools around the country grappling with covid numbers and kids unable to get vaccinated under 12. I'm amazed at how little coverage the expiration of uh, benefits is getting in the mainstream media. And that will change if this does not work the way people are hoping and people, in fact, workers uh, go back into the office. 
How about the the debate over taxes today? We got a little bit of a, another wrinkle. It's like been a real slow drip lately here, but 25%, we understand, Punchbowl was the first to report that that's the Democratic consensus for a corporate tax hike. Rick Davis, is that a happy medium? It didn't sound like it when we talked to Kevin Brady there. Yeah, uh, Congressman Brady was pretty clear. He thinks that that's going to offload jobs overseas, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as the uh, former head of the Ways and Means, a current ranking Republican. He's got a point of view on that. Um, and I think it's one that that is going to show that there aren't going to be any Republican votes for an increase in a corporate tax rate. Plus, he owns that 2017 tax cut that got it to 21 percent. So it's it's awful tough to ask a guy whose signature legislative achievement in 25 years in Congress is going to get changed. So there's a lot of a lot of personal politics invested with with Brady. But look, this is the the bigger issue in the Senate is that is this the kind of deal that they can cut in the Senate for funding that uh, someone like Joe Manchin is willing to embrace? He said. 28 is too high, uh, but he could be uh, negotiated. Uh, maybe that's the hope to get Manchin in place so that they could actually see this reconciliation go through. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1 to New York, Bloomberg 1130 to Boston, Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960 to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Thanks for joining us as Bloomberg Sound On goes national with help from our friends at Bloomberg's 1061 in Boston. It's great to be with you today. As we try to gauge the impact that expiring unemployment benefits and potentially higher taxes will have on the job market and the overall recovery. And to that end, we are joined by former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick. Governor, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. Welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. Good to be with you, Joe. Thank you. This program is live in Boston for the first time today, and we're glad to have you aboard for it. So thank you for being here. You bet. Millions of Americans today are losing their unemployment benefits, over 7 million losing them altogether, another 3 million losing the $300 weekly benefit, the enhanced weekly benefit. Do you believe this will push more people back into the workforce? Well, first of all, I don't believe it's kept people out of the workforce. I know that's been a Republican narrative, but the whole idea of the rescue plan was to be a bridge to a stronger economy and a safer workplace or a working environment because we've taken steps to uh, to beat back the uh, uh, the pandemic and the impact of it. So I think that the, the idea of these benefits expiring was a good idea from the start. It will be inconvenient uh, for some, especially the ones who haven't planned for it. But fortunately, we have an economy um, where uh, folks are, uh, where jobs are wanting for talent. What is still, I think, a challenge for many people, Joe, is getting the skills necessary for the jobs uh, that are going uh, wanting and having the services that make that possible. And I think that's what, uh, in the latter case, the um, the infrastructure bills are about. Yeah, there's been a big disagreement, as you well know, over the role that benefits have played. Some say jobs are going unfilled because of a lack of child care, for instance, during COVID. Now that kids are going back to school, do you think we're about to find out? Well, I certainly hope that kids are able to get back in school for their own sake uh, and also for the sake, as you say, of of, uh, working families who need a way to be able to uh, make work and home life um, 
you know, work and have it uh, have it come together. I think that there is still in many parts of the uh, country some resistance to some of the known measures that work in keeping uh, young people and teachers uh, and staff uh, safe, uh, issues around uh, getting the vaccine and being masked when you're masked when you're indoors and in close proximity uh, to others, some of the things that we've been advocating in my role as co-chair of the COVID Collaborative. So I'm hoping that schools being open, for, as I say, for the, for the sake of the students, for the sake of working families, is a go in every region, in every community, and we can help make it so by taking the simple steps that uh, the medical community agrees on uh, that keep us all safe. I wonder if your work through the COVID Collaborative has you hoping uh, for maybe more of a mandate, Governor. We understand that President Biden's going to speak Thursday and unveil a uh, six-pronged approach to at last defeating COVID. Do we need a national mandate once and for all? I just don't know. It's You know, Joe, I've said this before publicly and lots and lots privately. Never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined that we could politicize in this country a public health emergency, and yeah. yet we have. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that goes back, you know, a year and a half uh, or, or more now. Um, so the, the I, I commend the Biden administration for trying to bring reason um, and science to the forefront, and I am proud of the work we've been doing on a bipartisan basis for over a year now with the COVID Collaborative to try to do the very same things. Now, we're fortunate to have an administration we can be aligned with on that work. Now that we have full approval of at least one of the vaccines, do you think Massachusetts should pursue a mandate? I think it'll depend on the circumstances. I certainly um, encourage, and we have, as I said, through the COVID collaborative, encouraged everyone to be vaccinated. And vaccination rates are pretty uh, high uh, in Massachusetts. Um, uh, nationally, we've said you know, schools uh, can serve and should serve as vaccination sites um, for uh, both eligible uh, age students and their parents. We've been partnering with the five power football conferences um, around uh, uh, getting messages out about the importance of, uh, of the vaccination and with mm-hmm. uh, trusted messengers in community, in the medical community, faith leaders and others. Uh, about the importance of um, uh, of getting the vaccine. We've continued to partner with the Ad Council, uh, especially now that the FDA has fully approved the Pfizer vaccine, as I mentioned uh, earlier. So through public service uh, announcements and good, high-quality, high-integrity information out to lots and lots of communities um, who remain uh, uh, unvaccinated. Um, and then you know, we've um, uh, we've been uh, calling for, uh, particularly given the uh, uh, the rise of the Delta variant and the fact that the pandemic doesn't know boundaries uh, and won't respect them, um, to uh, for a, for a global COVID summit during the UN General Assembly uh, this month, where uh, leaders can come together and start to express consensus guidelines, so we have a more consistent global messaging uh, to citizens about how to uh, protect themselves and their families and the communities in which they live. We're talking with former Governor Deval Patrick on Bloomberg Sound On. Governor, the debate over taxes and spending right now in Washington is one that you're all too familiar with. And you even have a little bit of history with you hiked the sales tax and the minimum wage, both while you were governor. 
And you have a unique view of the corporate sector working at Bain. I wonder if you think Democrats are moving in the right direction by paying for this with a higher corporate tax rate. I think so. I mean, first of all, you remember when the uh, the Trump administration and the um, and the Senate uh, and House Republicans were pushing the last big round of tax cuts. The consensus in the corporate community was that the corporate tax rate ought to be around 25 percent. It was a sort of a gratuitous gesture or something that the Republicans made um, by cutting it to what is it, 21 uh 21 percent. I think Biden has proposed taking it back up to 28 percent. If you cut the difference, you kind of land where the consensus was uh, all along. And, you know, I was probably one of the few or I think I'm I think of myself as one of the few Democrats who thought that the idea of a reduction in the uh, in the rate to that consensus was a good idea. But I think the rest of the work remains to be done, which is one thing to cut the rates. But if you leave all the loopholes in place, you haven't really gotten to where you need to get. Um, so we have lots and lots of ways in which some of the most profitable companies in the world based here in the United States pay uh, zero or nearly zero in, in taxes. So I think that work remains. And then the last thing I'd say on this, Joe, is that I really feel that we need to quit all of us uh, talking about uh, taxes as if they are some sort of penalty instead of the price of civilization. And we ought to have a conversation. And I think that uh, the Biden administration, the president himself, and Democrats in the Senate and the House have started to lead that conversation uh, about just what kind of civilization we want. And so why not have a civilization that is organized around uh, rebuilding and modernizing our infrastructure, around Mm -hmm. helping families help themselves? with affordable and accessible health care and lower drug prices and affordable child care. That's not uh, inherently wrong. It is, in my view, inherently right. But that's the way it seems to me we ought to be having the conversation and the debate. And former Governor Deval Patrick with us here on Bloomberg Sound On. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Deadlines are piling up in Washington. There seems to be a new one every day, or at least we're reminded of one every day. With not only votes on infrastructure and reconciliation, at least they say at the end of this month, but also funding for the government before the lights go out in October. And in that spending bill that would keep the government running, the White House is seeking emergency funding for hurricanes and for the Afghan withdrawal and settlement and resettlement to be specific of the refugees thousands upon thousands of them joining us to talk about it bloomberg politics contributors Jeannie shanzano and rick davis our panel on the tuesday edition here Jeannie, do you think there's a, a real chance the government shuts down and will the white house get all of this money when you add it up here it's about 30 billion dollars to deal with disaster to deal with refugees I do not think we will. Uh, the government will shut down, um, and may I hope that's not just wishful thinking, but I. I- cannot imagine a scenario in which they do. And of course, the money that they're requesting, um, you know, you look at what they're requesting, and it does make sense. Um, You know, the disasters across the country have to be dealt with, whether you're Republican or Democrat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at just the the case like New Orleans, for example, you you have, uh, you know, a state controlled basically by Republicans. They need that money. They're asking for that money, rightly so. So I do think that the White House is smart 
court to ask for it. They have to ask for it. And I do think it'll get through and the government will stay open. Does anyone say no to this, Rick? And we, we haven't put the debt ceiling in here, right? Or, or will that be part of this pile as well? I think the debt ceiling will come separate, but um, nobody's really talking against a continuing resolution or that stopgap funding that you mentioned that'll keep the government functioning. Uh, we, we don't see any of the rhetoric like we've seen in the past where like Donald Trump shut down uh, the government mm-hmm. uh, to force a deal on a broader budget. So hopefully uh, they won't add this to the pile of things to be done. And of course, it is typical that we would add supplemental funding for hurricanes. It's the way it's done. There's usually about a $10 billion budget for FEMA, and it's usually exhausted before the end of the hurricane season. So governments always go back and say, hey, we're going to need some more money to help people out. And Congress tends to give them what they ask for. So uh, it's a lot of money. Uh, it keeps piling up. Uh, but in Washington these days, uh, unless it's got a trillion next to it, nobody seems to take it very seriously. How true. Uh, President Biden did get a firsthand look at the flooding damage uh, from Hurricane Ida, went north this time after visiting Louisiana. Uh, He went to New York and New Jersey. In Manville, New Jersey, the president made some remarks on the destruction he had just witnessed. What I'm surprised by is that in what otherwise you would not assume could generate a water height that went up in some cases almost to the windows of these homes, over literally over your head, according to the folks here. That is uh, pretty amazing. It was amazing, Jeannie, and not in a good way. Jeannie, I know this is personal for you. You were in the storm's path at your own home, and I know it's impacted people you work with. Is it the right time to make the case for infrastructure spending, specifically for climate change, as President Biden did today? I do think that that he has to make this case. And yes, we've been personally impacted by it. Two professors at the college I work at, both deceased in the storm. It was incredibly unexpected here. And um, I do think it is important because we are all living through it across the country. And he has got to make the case that the best way to address this is to deal with the issue of climate change. Otherwise, we're constantly running behind it, trying to catch up. So I do think he's smart to say it, obviously. Obviously, he has to do it at the same time being sensitive and not politicizing the issue. But again, this is something that cuts across partisan divides. It doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. We're all feeling these, you know, these weather events in a way we've never felt them before. I'm not even trying to suggest the president's being insensitive. Yeah. And, and maybe some are uh, Rick Davis, if, if that's the case. I'm just curious more about the effectiveness of this message. Does, do these storms heighten the urgency? Yeah, they tend to grab the headline and and no insensitivity associated with it. I think uh, Biden did do a good job of pointing out that more people were killed in this hurricane in New Jersey and New York and Connecticut and Delaware than they were when a Category 4 hit the coast of Louisiana. So um, I, I think that... What he's trying to do is build momentum for a major push by this administration on climate as we get into the uh, Glasgow COP26, which uh, he will attend and which will become a centerpiece of his global climate initiative. And I think he made a hard line uh, uh, mark on this speech that I that I watched, which was, uh, you know, climate deniers beware. We're coming after you. Uh, we don't we, we can't continue to deny these these weather events. Scientists always worry about putting too much credibility around weather events because um, weather is caused by a lot of different factors. But there's no question that the heating of the earth uh, results in more severe storms. And that's what we're seeing.
As we spend time with the panel, I want to ask you about COVID. This would have been a monster headline, what, two months ago at this point now. But the U.S. today reached 75% of adults with at least one vaccine dose. I'm reading this on the terminal as we speak, and our White House correspondent Josh Wingrove carries the byline. Three quarters of U.S. adults have received at least one dose of a vaccine as of this day, Tuesday. A White House official out with that number, setting a new milestone in the country's fight against the pandemic. As we prepare for a speech from President Biden Thursday, Jeannie, we understand he's going to roll out the way forward yet again, kind of a reset on COVID. I presume there will be some news on boosters. This is a major achievement in a country that doesn't always love vaccines. That's right. And it is really important that we mark that. It's, that is the positive news that we're seeing. But of course, on the flip side, we're seeing, you know, case rates, uh, particularly amongst the unvaccinated, that are incredibly high. And of course, the real concern is the people who are in the hospitals dying sick and, of course, the impact on the country and the inability for us to move beyond this pandemic and get the economy back working. And, you know, I think it's important that the president come out on Thursday. I don't think we have a good sense yet as to what he's going to say. We've got heard some inklings, but I do think it's important he come out. And I really think he is going to have to clarify what is going on with these booster shots. There's a lot of confusion there. Public health experts, the messaging has been confusing. So I do think we need real clarity from the administration on that by Thursday, because we're about, you know, what, 11 days out. and, And that's a particularly confusing issue for people. Well, that's true. And hopefully the CDC will be doing some of the talking as well. So we're not, you know, confused between the White House and and the agencies. Uh, But, Rick, I guess it's a little too late for Joe Biden to take a victory lap on this. Do you have a sense of what he might roll out Thursday? They're they're describing a six pronged approach because five is not enough uh, in dealing with this. It's just interesting, uh, interesting messaging two days before the speech. Yeah, so much for the three-point plan. Now we got right. six points, and I'm, I'm gonna—I'm probably gonna fall asleep before we get past five. Um, look, I mean, this is a, uh, a pandemic that he took very seriously when he took over the presidency. Uh, they thrust trillions of dollars into its path to try and stop it, and they haven't been able to stop it. And as a result, uh, some of these economies, uh, the employment rate and things like that, have started to slow. And and his hope for an economic rebound with a GDP in excess of you know five or six percent is starting to come into question. So so this administration is still going to be defined by the midterms at least as the administration that either did a great job of handling COVID or are still handling it. And we'll get back to you with the result. And so I I can't imagine. That, that he's going to do anything in this speech, but uh, try to get the cooperation of that other 25%, 30% that are unvaccinated because that's what's continuing to hold the economy back. That's what's continuing to ravage the pandemic. And until at which point that pandemic is put to rest, uh, I can't imagine a situation where his administration is going to be able to look up and say, hey, we finally accomplished something. I asked you guys this a couple of months ago. What if Donald Trump got involved here? And I don't mean Joe Biden walking out of the the Rose Garden, you know, arm in arm with Donald Trump telling people to get a vaccination. But as I read today, reports suggest that Donald Trump is at least laying the foundation for for a potential second run. Whether or not that happens, why not grab the limelight, Rick, if you're Donald Trump? Grab the limelight right now so you can later take credit for people getting the vaccine. 
Well, you know, he he tried that out in Alabama a little over a week ago uh, at a rally he was having. And How he about basically buying some sort of, ads, though? Do something big. Well, he got booed by his own crowd. And so <laughs> I think this he probably took a big step backwards after he said, yeah, you ought, you ought to go out and get a vaccine. And they booed him. It's the first time he's ever been booed by his own audience. And so I am quite confident that they went back to Mar-a-Lago and said, well, we're never doing that again. Wow. I don't know what that means, Jeannie. This is the man who helped uh, to, to get Operation Warp Speed into reality, helped get these vaccines made. He did. And to Rick's point, he has he has said that publicly. But, you know, you look at recent polls, nine out of 10 Biden voters vaccinated, only five out of 10 Trump voters. There is a real political element to all of this. And I think a very, very difficult position for President Biden right now is that when we had the first wave of the pandemic, if you will, the government was stepping in, the federal government to help. But as you just mentioned, though that help is, you know, slowly or quickly going away and we are in yet another wave. What do we do about that is a big, big challenge. So the president's got to make this six prong case. We've got to keep Rick away for all six, but he's got to get that six prong case out there and he's got to get the private se- sector involved in this. They already are, but he's got to get them involved in this me- you know, trying to push for these vaccines via private mandate because he doesn't have the power to do that publicly. I don't know. Rick's good for at least three of them. We're going to find <laughs> out on Thursday. And I hope you're both with us. Rick and Jeannie are Bloomberg political contributors. Just a taste for you in Boston. We do this every day. It's called Bloomberg Sound Off. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.